listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson, and today we're going to tackle a topic about how you create a next-generation sales team, but we're going to do it in a little bit different fashion. I've had the opportunity to connect with Brian Burns, who hosts several well-known podcasts, such as the B2B Revenue Leadership Show and the Brutal Truth About Sales and Selling. He's also a well-known author, uh, creator of the Maverick Method, and a well-respected thought leader in the sales space. And so what he and I have decided to do is kind of sit down on a regular basis and tackle big topics that CROs, CMOs, VP of sales, VP of marketing are wrestling with uh, and kind of give a debrief on kind of where we see the market going based on our experience and working with our clients, um, provide some insights and hopefully some strategies that will allow uh, executives to you know go back and start to make a difference and, and evolve in a way that will give them the kind of results they want as, as market dynamics continue to change. At the end of the podcast, I'll wrap it up with a little bit more information, but in until then, I think I'm just going to let us roll right into the conversation with Brian. Hey, so the future of sales organizations, Chad, um, I had like number one is specialization. Have you seen that happening a lot in, the, in, the, in your client base? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it, specialization becomes kind of key uh, for sales reps to start to build credibility, right? And to be able to understand the the buyers that they're working with, right? Nobody wants to be sold to anymore. They want to be collaborated with. In order to do that, you really have to understand, you know, where that person is coming from and what it is that they're up against, what they're facing, what they, you know, what their what problems they have and trying to solve them. And you have to bring value to that conversation. In order to do that, you know, specializing in maybe an industry or vertical, uh, or if it's a tech solution, really knowing how that tech solution can affect a business. I mean, I think that's going to be critical uh, moving forward. Yeah, yeah, because I had done a stint at IBM. The company I was uh, working at got acquired by them, and it was kind of specialization gone mad, but it was necessary. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because you had people who were the salesperson on the product, sales engineers that were on the product, then you had people who knew the account, people who knew, you know, the the whole, the brand. And although it seemed, uh, you know, too matrixed, it did work. It, It kind of came together when people needed it to and kind of dispersed afterwards. And I think we're going to have to specialize in the future because the sales job has just gotten really tough. I think we're seeing it today with, you know, the separation between, you know, people getting meetings like the sales development reps and then the people taking the meetings. But I think it's going to go even more than that. I think the next thing I think is going to be popular is kind of what um, they call the information concierge, somebody who's, (laughs) who's building the list. Are you seeing that? Yeah, it was interesting. I actually interviewed um, Mark Kozaglo. He's the VP of sales for uh, outreach.io and he kind of caught me off guard um, when we were talking and he's like, yeah, he's like, look, the last thing I want my sales reps doing is actually picking the accounts that they're targeting. And I, I, I kind of stutter stepped. I was like, wait, wait, what? I'm not used to hearing that. He's like, no, no, no. I want my sales reps selling. I want somebody else vetting those accounts that they're targeting so that they make sure that they meet specific criteria, that they, you know, they are going to be those type of A accounts and these sales guys aren't wasting their time because they're such, you know, expensive resources, um, you know, going after stuff that's not going to pan out. 
uh, and it was kind of eye-opening for me. I mean, they've implemented it pretty aggressively. It sounds like it outreach. Uh, and it's, it, I mean, it requires more people. I mean, smaller businesses like, like mine, I don't wish I had somebody to put together the lists, but in larger <laughs> organizations, um, I, I can definitely see how that could be, you know, particularly advantageous. And I think it just goes to that segmentation and that specialization. If you have somebody who really understands how to evaluate, you know, companies, the types of roles and types of problems that they're in so they can really focus, uh, for the people that they're setting meetings for, I, I think that's going to be extremely advantageous going forward. That's it, because that job is not, you know, a 50 or 100K job. That job is, a, you know, a 20 or 30K job. Right. You know, just getting those email addresses, phone numbers, you know, social profiles and putting that into a CRM and kind of maybe even finding out what they care about to, to target some personalization, separating that out so that a rep who's, you know, making 80 to 150 doesn't have to spend their time doing that because that's time consuming. Yeah, and it's and it's a and quite honestly, with all the clients that that we've worked with, you know, especially like at Adobe, the constant thing you see is all of the reps are like, well, the first step is get your list. They're like, well, how do I get my list? Where where, <laughs> where where do I go? What what do right. I do? How do I know if it's good? And so you can just see the the wasted cycles, right? So that specialization on somebody who really knows, okay, here's the criteria that you really need to be focused on. These are the types of accounts we want. Now give that to the people that are going to be actually you know pushing them through the funnel. Uh, it saves a lot of time, and I, I think you get a better uh, sense of scale out of it. And my number two thing was using technology. I think in the future, the, the sales reps who embrace technology, uh, you know, before it's in vogue, you know, the, the certain things about finding email addresses, finding social stuff, finding what people care about. I think those reps who really embrace technology are going to be the ones that are going to succeed. Are you seeing that or? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? So there's this, there's so many tools out there, right? And more come to the forefront every day. And so it can get a little bit overwhelming for reps. The key, I think, is to find a tech stack that enables them to uh, accelerate to human connection, right? Essentially, what you want to do is there's information everywhere. You go look at Twitter, LinkedIn, maybe somebody's on Snapchat, what, whatever it is. There's a whole bunch of places, you know, Zoom Info, you can pull all this information from uh, and put it into all of these different tools. Uh, I have a tendency sometimes to see sales reps get, you know, they go too far down into the shiny object, like, ooh, here's a new tool, <laughs> and this is the silver bullet. No, 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 they really need to stay focused on the technology that's going to make them more effective at providing value and having that human connection with, with the people that they're, that they're working with. The tools are plentiful. Uh, I, I guess my advice to any rep would be don't get distracted by them. Yeah, I think you have to adopt them slowly and get deep into them slowly and, and not become, you know, a, a tool aficionado, even though I fall in love with these things. But oh, I know at it's the so same, hard not to, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also try and keep a distance, too, because, you know, there's a lot of them, you know, the vendors say, well, you're not using this or that. And I'm like, OK, but I, I, I'm getting 80 percent of the value in 15 minutes a day. <laughs> You know, I don't know if I need to spend another 30 to 60 minutes a day to get the, the remaining 20% value. Yeah, and it, it's amazing. I mean, if you look at things like connect and sell, right, from a dialer or an SDR standpoint, those are some phenomenal tools, right? You can do, you can rip through 860 dials in an hour, and it's only connecting you to the people that are actually picking up the phone. That's a phenomenal tool. But then there's all the integration on the back end. Um, yeah. I forget who was, I forget who it was, but I was listening to um, James 
Cardberry's podcast, and they had a MarTech guy on, and he was advocating that uh, marketing and sales organizations should have a technology person specifically dedicated to uh, the integration, maintenance, and evolution of that tech stack. So it's not on the sales rep's plate as well. So back again to your first point, specialization, that's probably not a bad idea, especially, I think he said there were something like 1,500 sales and marketing solutions, applications, or tools out there that people could choose from. I mean, that's just, that's just overwhelming, right? So you just got to be careful not to get too distracted with that stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, any sizable company should have um, a marketing ops and a sales ops. And, you know, on the, if I had the five things I'd like to have a sales manager change, it would be number one is to get a sales ops person to do your forecast and stuff. Oh, and yeah. Instead of <laughs> wasting everyone's, you know, two or three hours a week to make sure every field is filled in and and it all looks the way that he wants to see or she wants to see it. And it's just that's really administrative work that can be done by that person who's not on the phone or in meetings with people. Right. Right. I mean, when you, when you look at it, it, it really, I mean, you look at sales in general, everybody talks about, you know, oh, AI is going to replace sales and all this. The fact of the matter is people will always buy from people until robots are buying from robots. But I mean, at the end of the day, people buy from people. So if you can use the technology and you can structure your organizations and your teams in such a way to really focus on scaling that portion of it, I think you're going to have wildly more success than just relying on, you know, somebody to do it all at once. That's it, because I think the technology you can use to find people, even, you know, connect with them on a human level. But once you engage with them, it has to be on the phone or in person. Right. It's not going to be through email. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's at least going to be, you know, a go to meeting, a Skype call or whatever you use for, you know, screen sharing and stuff. But it, it has to have that communication because no one's sitting around waiting for you to, you know, call and pitch them. Right. I'm sitting at my desk waiting for that next cold call. Yeah. <laughs> to sell you something. Uh, my number three was sales reps have got to figure out what I call the mystery middle of the sales process. And I think this is like no one really talks about this part. And what I mean by that is let's say you have, you know, the, this is a front end where you find somebody, you connect with them, you have that first meeting. But then what reps do is they think they give them a proposal and what, <laughs> and what ends up happening, right? You're giving a proposal to someone who has no budget, some influence, a little political power, and, but has a big need. Right. But, but they don't know what to do with it. That's, that's this mystery middle that reps don't understand what happens here and what has to happen here. And you get into the situation where you, if both people don't know what to do, Nothing happens or it just it'll either happen by luck or by chance or it will just die a slow death. You know, you see the sales cycle drastically increase, right? I mean, if you look at any revenue funnel, you've got and people will name them or give them different percentages, but you got to find them, qualify <laughs> them. You got to educate them, sell them and close them. Right. And so right now you see, every, you know, especially on social media and everybody's talking about how you find them. How do you prospect? How do you get them in? Well, there's that education piece. Um, that there isn't a lot of focus on right now. And that, you know, okay, great, I got you into the funnel. Well, now what the hell do I do with you, right? Like, if you're not consistently looking at educating and, and, you know, providing insights, providing value to get them to the point where they're like, yeah, hey, I need to buy, and also figuring out if the person you're talking to is actually the guy who can sign the check, 
or woman, excuse me, because they can sign a check. It, you can't sell to somebody you can't buy. They may have a problem, but it isn't going to resolve. You know, the things that get funded are the things that are business objectives and business issues, things that are getting in the way of that. Uh, and reps really struggle, I think, sometimes to figure out. They're just so happy that somebody wanted to talk to them. Like, oh, he took my call. I got to give him a, a pitch. Now I should just rip off a proposal. Well, that's more cycles that you're spending without knowing if you're really selling to somebody who can write a check. And if you're and if you're really meeting a need that's going to make a difference for the business, that's it. And if they don't understand that part and how to keep that deal moving, and that's what really distinguishes you know great reps from okay reps. Yeah, agreed. You know because it gets stuck there. And what do they do? They just hound that same person. And I think if I had a three point five, it would be sticking with one person within the account. Right. Right. You know, and not you know expanding outside. Um, and, and really getting out of dealing with just that one person and understanding, you know, the economic issues, the other technical issues, like what you said with integration and everything, they, they got to understand that because somebody has to do that and nobody teaches this, you know, there's no course on the mystery middle of the sales cycle. Everybody focuses on that front at the negotiation, the presentation, the demo, but nobody really focuses on how do you keep the deal moving? Right. Well, and then you get them through. The, let's say you get them through there. Negotiation is a whole nother. I mean, you get if it's a larger company, you're dealing with procurement. I mean, what I think it was at CEB said something like seven people are involved in every decision making process. So the negotiation portion of it becomes just as critical. I mean, sales is no longer a you know open the phone book and smile and dial until somebody says, yeah, I need a set of knives or some new siding. Right? It just doesn't work like that anymore. It's just it's gotten a lot more complex. And you know, as a sales professional, I probably have it probably rubs me the wrong way when people talk about salespeople in the same breath that they talk about politicians, right? It's just it's, anno <laughs> it's annoying because this isn't uh, it's not a simple profession anymore, and I think it's going to get the skill set is going to get more complex uh, for people to really master the entire revenue funnel. Yeah, yeah, and it's the person who's going to figure this out, and that's why I call it the mystery because it's not the same right. every time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It is. It's but, a different but, company to company. Yeah, but it, you've got to understand that just because you sent a proposal with an expiration date that something's going to happen within that time frame is, is naive at best. <laughs> Without a doubt. Well, I gave him a date. I swear, boss, I swear, I gave him a date. They're going to close on this date. Yeah, okay. That's it. And then it goes on to the forecast, and the manager, it goes from, what, 50 to 75% yeah. or better? yeah. I love it when companies, have, when clients have fifty percent in their in their uh, in their sales stages. Like one of the first things I'll look at is what are the sales stages, and anybody's got fifty percent in there. I'm like, fifty percent's a BS designation, right? Because I can flip a coin and it'll go either way. So you're either in control of the account or you're not. <laughs> Sorry, rant, a rant on that fifty percent thing. Yeah. Hey, so number four I had, I think there's going to be a new role. I think it's starting to emerge now as, you know, the chief revenue officer. I'm starting to see that resonate as a way of getting marketing and sales to work together. Uh, have you seen that within your client base? Or? Yeah, we act, it's interesting. So when we, when we put together our podcast and we started thinking about who we wanted to talk to, um, we specifically started talking about, you know, all right, let's get rid of the titles and let's look at how businesses operate, right? So it's a revenue, it's all about revenue, or if, if it's a nonprofit or public sector, maybe it's mission and funding. But there's this flow of money and the complexity that you've seen kind of crop up in both marketing and sales um, and the uh, 
everybody complains about there not being enough alignment between marketing and sales, it requires a different type of leadership. So those CROs that, I mean, we've seen some in some of our clients, um, and they may come from a sales background. Uh, they've at least done sales somewhere at some point, at least the ones I've met so far and, and see coming up. Um, but they have a much broader understanding of the entire way that a company interacts to generate revenue. And I think that's going to be, in order to provide that vision and that leadership, kind of that point on the horizon everybody's aiming to, I think that's going to be critical for organizations in the future. And I think it's going to require, you know, a very unique person because, you know, sales is getting more complicated. Marketing is getting more complicated. And I think you're going to have to put client advocacy or client success under that as well, especially if you're in a SaaS model where most of your revenue is recurring. And if you don't get it to recur, <laughs> yeah, you're that, in that churn is just going to kill you. Yeah, and well, I mean, if it's interesting, um, so I spent before I got into the sales enablement space, I spent the last ten years doing uh, digital experiences, that merging of physical and digital, and so worked with companies like Verizon and the Minnesota Vikings and stuff. But what's interesting is seeing that concept of experience, that totality of what a sales experience is, is now creeping into uh, sales. I mean, the CX world proved that the return on investment was huge, right? The, I forget, I think it was Forbes maybe, did a report on companies that had invested in their customer experience, saw huge returns on Wall Street, right? Well, now you're seeing, and I think it was Salesforce that not noticed it in a, in a report Q4 of last year, that sales execs, these chief revenue officers are going, well, man, I, I've got a sales experience that impacts my brand, it impacts, you know, the, the the buyer and the concepts that I've been hearing for ten years on the CX side, like frictionless. Like, how do you make the sales experience frictionless? Are moving into sales, and it's going to take somebody in that CRO spot that not only understands the mechanics of sales, which is getting more complicated, and marketing, but how to put it all together in something that's seamless. Because B two B buyers are now having their expectations shaped by the B2C experiences that they have on a daily basis. And oh, so they're yeah. going to have to match that. And, and to understand that, you know, that doing the right anthropological and ethnographic research and how to tie that into things that still generate revenue, it is going to take a unique skill set, I think, to be a successful CRO. I think that point about the B2C experience and expectation is really creeping its way into the B2B. Meaning like the client, the customer has been in such control in the B2C space that they have all this power at no cost right? <laughs> and they're just worshipped. <laughs> and, you know, in B2B, it's kind of not necessarily that way in that it's hard to get into accounts. People don't want to be bothered anymore. They want everything for free. They want to have all the power. They want to get it at the price they want. They don't understand the differences. And, uh, you know, the perfect example I have is I remember reading, the, I was looking at this new iPhone app that had come out and it had like a, a one star review and it was this beautiful app. It was free. And it's like all they said was, oh, I couldn't expand the photos. And I'm like, it's a, it's a version one. It's a one star. It's free. Right. Well, and I mean, you took you... the time to cram. <laughs> You can go back and actually you can look at this this transition of 
B2C experiences influencing B2B actually started with Apple, right? So if you think about when the iPhone, I, it's been a while, I mean, I know we're at, what, 10 years now, but when that, yeah. when that iPhone came out, everybody was like, holy crap, look at this. Like, it was the wow factor. It changed the game. It actually, uh, for, for users, it was a lot more seamless, but for business, it actually changed the dynamic, right? So instead of IT just developing applications and slapping a user interface on, you know, at the end as an afterthought, all of a sudden, their applications and stuff could be deleted with a swipe of a finger. And so all of a sudden, the power's in the consumer's hands. So those B2C people started to drive what was a phenomenal experience. Well, those B2C people are also the buyers in B2B. And so their expectations of, look, don't sell to me. You know, Make sure it's about me. Make sure it's about my value. Those are becoming more prevalent. And their expectations are bleeding over to the point where if on the B2B side, I mean, I, I got an email um, I actually had put a request in for a demo for um, an outreach type tool, uh, sales cadencing stuff. And the email that the guy sent me, um, it hit me wrong. It hit me really wrong. Like it was completely all about him. Like, hey, if you're not this good or you don't do this or you don't have this solution that we can integrate with, there's no reason for us to talk. And I was just kind of like, what? Like, all right, I'm not even, I'm not even going to respond to this. Like your tool may be the best one on the market, but you just pissed me off. Like, why would you do that? Why would you take that type of approach, right? And and I know, having been doing this for 10 years, that my expectation for the type of experience I want is much higher and I'm much more aware of it, but I'm seeing it with our clients all the time. The people that you're selling to are influenced by wanting frictionless, easy, collaborative types of experiences. And B2B sales reps and especially CROs are going to have to figure out how to deliver that. They are. And, and where it really hurts is in the latent sale. You know, this is really what I focus on is like the latent sales, the, per, the person who doesn't know you exist right. may not even know they have the problem you solve, but it is, you know, 98% of your market. What everyone's doing today is putting all their money and effort into the, you know, the 1% who's actively looking to buy your product instead of the 99 that doesn't even know you exist. <laughs> right. Well, and sales reps, I mean, have you seen, I mean, I've seen throughout my career and I've always, I always struggled with it a little bit when I was, when I was running teams, um, everybody wants to go for the obvious problem, the one that somebody's talking about. But if you dig a little bit deeper, that latent stuff, you're really looking at a much larger opportunity, but sales reps don't seem for some reason, I haven't figured out why don't seem to, you know, focus on or dig into the stuff where there's going to be more opportunity, more dollars that you can sell, more, you know, more revenue you can reap. I don't understand. And maybe you've seen a solution or you have a solution for it, but I don't know how you get sales reps to see that, especially when they're over, you know, overrun with new technology solutions and, and all of that kind of stuff. How do you, how do you, I'm just out of curiosity, how do you work with them to get them to understand that latent sale? Well, it is hard because their managers are focusing them, you know, solely on, you know, call them and pitch them. What they have to understand, and it gets to my point of number five, is they don't know you. Right. So if they don't know you, they can't like you because they don't know you. <laughs> right. right. And they certainly don't trust you. So the days of you being able to use a pitch that's based off of increasing revenue, decreasing costs everyone does it. Right. So it doesn't really stick anymore. And it doesn't really kind of pop up. And what everybody does is say, I got to come up with a better pitch. I go, no, you have to become known, become liked and become trusted. And they go, that takes too long. Well, <laughs> you're already at no, you're there. <laughs> well, wait, I you have know, to work for this? 
You don't have to do a thing to go. You can stay at no. You're at zero percent on the forecast right now. You got to get to ten, right? right? <laughs> and that's just not their name and their email address. That's them being able to you being able to converse with them. And to do that, they have to know you, like you, and trust you. Oh, and yeah. you coming up with a more appealing pitch will work with somebody who may be open-minded, but they're not, that's not going to get you 99% of the market. That's going to get you maybe another 1%. Right. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I've done a canned pitch. Like everything I do is customized to the client that we're talking to. And, and this is one of the things that we teach, that concept of increasing your familiarity, right? So you have all these tools at your disposal. There's social, there's email, you can leave voicemails. There's this cadence you can create to increase familiarity without creating an ask. Does it take time? Okay, yeah, maybe it takes you two weeks so that they actually recognize, ah, you know what, I think I've seen Chad's name somewhere. Maybe I should actually open that email. Or maybe I should respond to that you know, LinkedIn request because I've seen his name start to work in the brand that way, right? It, it takes two, three weeks. Okay, but if you got no and you, you're going nowhere, well, then it wasn't even in the funnel to begin with. So, so at least take the time to build that familiarity and through that process, understand that person. So if you can understand them, then your pitch can be to them, to their specific problems, to you know ways that you can uniquely help them, not just, hey, I happen to work with another executive in the same industry and we did this. Are you, are you up for a conversation? Ah, no, I'm not. I'll pass. Right. It, it's a lot like buying the drink at the bar. It's like because that becomes a conversation point and you start talking about what you're both interested in. <laughs> right. You know, you're breaking the ice. And I think we, we, we know how to do this in the social world and the, you know, the physical world when we're at parties with people and social situations, but we lose it when we're at work, when we're like, we're counting the number of emails we send, the number of cold calls and voicemails we leave. But are you really go going from unknown to known? I don't think you are until you're doing something for them. Yeah, without a doubt. And in order to do it and provide that value to get their attention, you have to, you know, preparation's another big one. I know I see a lot of reps that just kind of want to, hey, I put together 10 emails, I'm going to rip these out to these people. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, great. But if you don't spend the time to do your homework, if you don't understand, again, that person and what they're experiencing, if you're not personalizing your outreach, you're just kind of wasting your time these days. People want to feel important. They want to feel part of the process. And in order for you to, I mean, at a cocktail party, you don't just walk up and say, Hey, I'm selling this SaaS solution. I noticed you were drinking <laughs> a Jack and Coke. Do you want to buy this? That's yeah. not how it works, right? Like you, you really got to think of the way that you interact with the technology or even in conversations, you don't go straight for the sale. It, it, it's just a bit puts people off. And in order to figure out when to do it right, you got to know your soft skills, but you also need to have done your homework and understand what those people are up against. Yeah. Hey, I really appreciate you joining me today and talking about this stuff. And uh, I'll sum it up at the end, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everybody. That does it for the episode today. Thank you for listening and, and being with us today. I hope you found some value in the new format and the conversation between Brian and myself. Next time Brian and I get together, we're going to be talking about sales process and how you use that as a differentiator uh, to so sales executives can turn their sales teams into a differentiator just as much as the products and services that they sell. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive on that with our top five you know things to think about. Until then, please uh, share out this podcast with friends, families, coworkers, and uh, please leave us a 
review uh, on iTunes or Stitcher through your favorite podcast provider. We use those reviews uh, to format the show, choose what guests we bring on. Uh, We really want to make sure we continue to provide value to the listening audience. So again, thank you everyone for showing up. Drop us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And until next time, myself and everyone at Value Prime Solutions wish you nothing but the best. Filling the top of the funnel is a challenge, especially in dynamic markets with shifting technology solutions and increasingly informed buyers. There is no silver bullet to effective prospecting, but Value Prime Solutions has developed a proven framework and approach that delivers results. Check out valueprimesolutions.com and ask how Vortex Prospecting can deliver more qualified leads for your teams.